Welcome to The Honest Pour with John Lennart, where we go beyond the bottle to connect you with the people and places that make each wine so unique. If you spent any time in a nightclub or know anything about hip-hop culture, you're probably familiar with the hyper-opulent, metallicized bottle of the champagne many call the Ace of Spades. You might even know it as a champagne owned by hip-hop star Jay-Z. Well, the real name of the brand is Armand de Brignac, and while Jay-Z might be the guy, I sat down with the guy behind the guy, Emilien Boutelat, winemaker of Armand de Brignac, in this episode of The Honest Pour. This episode of The Honest Pour is sponsored in part by Fooditer.com, bringing you the stories of Chicago's chefs, restaurants, and people who make food all over town. Fooditer.com. Hello and welcome to The Honest Pour. I'm John Leonard. Joining me today is Emilien Boutelat of Armand de Brignac. Welcome. Hi, John. <laughs> Very happy to be here with you. Thank you. So you were born in the world of wine, right? Yeah. Tell me where you were born. I was born in Champagne, in fact. My father is a wine grower, still, still now. So I grew up with him and I, I mean, when I was a child, I was working with him in the vineyard. I was doing the riddling with him like uh, every morning. So yeah, I grew up in the, in the world of Champagne. I grew up in the, in the world of, of wine. So wine, you could say, is in your blood. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, when, when you have a father who, who is very passionate about what he's doing and he's telling you stories and how to make great wine, how to manage a vineyard, yeah, for sure you get passionate too. So. It's interesting. In the United States, oftentimes, children from agricultural families want to move away from agriculture. <laughs> is it that way in France? It depends. I mean, everybody is different. But what I did, yeah, I moved away from Champagne before to come back. So uh, I, I think since I'm a child, I knew that uh, I wanted to, to work in the world of wine. But yeah, I grew up in Champagne, but then I wanted to see something else. So I moved in South of France in order to study. So I went to Montpellier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got my uh, master's degree there in agronomy, viticulture, analogy, winemaking, all of that stuff. But yes, I wanted to, before to come back, uh, to see different things. After you graduated from Montpellier, you didn't come right back to Champagne. Tell me what happened next. Yeah. I, I wanted to, to learn more about the wine world, so I, I went to work in different places in France, but also abroad. So I, I went to, to Margot. Uh, I worked for Chateau Margot in Bordeaux. Oh, you worked for Margot? Yeah. yeah. I spent eight months there. I made uh, some try, um, some research experimentation uh, in the vineyard. Uh, we, we tried the uh, biodynamic, organic viticulture, and also traditional way of making uh, wine. So that was very interesting. Then I went to Chateauneuf du Pape also. Uh, I worked for Peter Michael Winery uh, in California. You worked for some big hitters. Yes. <laughs> and I also went to bigger factory of wine, like in New Zealand. I worked for Mudhouse, so quite mm-hmm. a big one. Uh, I worked also in Chile and in South Africa. So. And what, what, what did that experience of working for, you know, a great chateau, a... a, a high-end producer in California, uh, an industrial producer um, in New Zealand? Yes. Uh, what did that experience teach you by going to all of these different places? I mean, in each country, first, you, you can feel different uh, way of thinking wine, way of making wine, so first, that's something very interesting. And also, according to the size of the, of the winery, uh, I learned different things. So, for example, from... Uh, New Zealand, I learned how to to pay attention of the time. I mean, uh, to organize myself, 
uh, to be very efficient in terms of productivity because when you are working in such a big, big, big factory, uh, everything needs to be efficient. So that's something very interesting. But what I like the most is working in smaller uh, company, just like Peter Michael of Chateau Margaux, where you, I learn how it's important to give a big attention to every detail from the, I mean, in the vineyard first, for sure, but also when do we need to harvest the grapes and why do we need to harvest this block before this one. I mean, all these kind of details in the vineyard and also in the winemaking process. It, it, it's interesting, you, yeah. you grew up in Champagne, so you were amongst Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Yeah. But after your studies, you went to Bordeaux, <laughs> you went to de Pop, you went to Napa Valley. Not, not so much Pinot Noir and Chardonnay world. Yeah. Uh, was there something about those grapes that called you back to Champagne? Or what called you back to Champagne? Uh, my roots, I think. My family, my friends are living there. So after traveling for a while, I spent three years traveling abroad. So just three years abroad? Yes. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I had the feeling that I had to come back and find a good place in Champagne where I will be able to, to bring all the things that I learned everywhere in the world. Uh, and I was looking also for a small family business. I wanted to, to find a place where I will be able to, to be part of the process from the beginning until the end. And there is not a lot of place like that in the world. And so, yeah, that's how I end up working for Armand de Brignac. Did you go right... From when you went back to Champagne, you went immediately to Armand de Brignac? Um, I spent a few months working for the Comité Champagne. Uh, you know what it is? It's a, like an um, association between a negotiant, producer, wine grower in Champagne. So mm -hmm. uh, working on different kind of experimentation there. So you probably had an opportunity after that then to go to, you could have gone to work for one of the big houses. Mm -hmm. You could have gone to work for a, a small grower uh, and you, you chose a, a smaller house. Yes. What made you choose choose a smaller house? Um, as I said, I wanted to be sure that I will be able uh, to be in charge of all the process and to be able to oversee all the process, each step of the process. Sometimes when you work with big big company or larger house of champagne, you might be in charge of one task, like I don't know, disgorgement or. I don't know, blending. Or, yeah, I wanted to be able to, to do everything. That's what I like. I, I travel abroad to see different things, different countries, and I like to, 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 to do also different things. So. When you think about champagne, and there's, like I said before, there's, there's the big houses and the growers. Yeah. And the big houses tend to, they, they, they're making their, their wines, they want to be consistent year to year to year to year to year. Yeah. Where the growers want to show their terroir and show the vintage. Is, is that the idea at Armand de Brignac, to show the vintage in the terroir, or is there a consistency you're looking for from year to year? Both, I would say. Um, because we are blending three different... In fact, we don't make any vintage champagne. We make multi-vintage champagne. So we are blending three different years in each blend that we are making. So our idea is to stay consistent through the year. But also, because our philosophy is to let the fruit talk, we allow a certain variability according to, I don't know, the weather of this vintage or this one. So because we are, because we are using three different vintage, we can bring all the strengths together in order to have a consistency, a kind of a symphony. But in this symphony, you might be able to catch this particular, uh, I don't know, uh, aromas from that vintage or that balance of that vintage. So 
one connoisseur might be able to, ca to catch a few things. Yeah, hard to do in that in multi-vintage blend, even for a connoisseur. Let's talk a little bit. About, I know I know one of the important things for Amanda Brignac is the amount of people that handle the wine from the beginning in the vineyard yes. to the finished bottling. Tell me a little bit about that process, why it's unique. Yeah. The first thing that is very unique about our company is the family. Because I'm working with the father and son Jean-Jacques and Alexander Cartier. And Alexander uh, is now the 13th generation of wine grower of the family. So it's more than 250 years that they are in the same village producing some grapes. So it's all about the family. It's older it's than our country. It's in their blood too, yeah. <laughs> and something else that, yeah, we have a very small team because we are only producing a bit more than 100,000 bottles a year worldwide. Uh, we don't need a big team and we want everybody to know exactly what he has to do on the process. So each, each member of the team is very specialized on, on each task. And we have only 18 people. 18 that, people? That's it. From harvest to bottle? Yeah, from the pressing of the grapes until labeling. Wow. And uh, the labeling is, I mean, because our bottle are, uh, you know, the shape of the bottle is a metallized shape with French pewter label, and it's very fragile. So everything is made by hand. We cannot use a machine for that. So everything is made by hand. The labeling is made by hand. Uh, we have few girls doing that, part of the 18 people, and they can only make 20 bottles an hour, which is... 20 bottles an hour, so 100,000 bottles, and it takes a long time. <laughs> it takes a long time. It's a year-long work, yeah. So 100,000 bottles, is that in a typical vintage? I mean, yeah, as I said, we are blending vintage, so... Oh, um, sure. So we, we, we stay on this, uh, this amount of bottle. We don't want to increase... Uh, crazy our, our volume uh, our goal is to make the best that's it so no pressure on volume uh, no compromise at all um, for example I'm here in the US this week in order to launch um, the second blend that we ever made for Le Blanc de Noir and we have only 2,333 bottles and we already know that next year we won't release the third blend because it, we know that it won't be ready yet so we wait it might come in 2019-2020 we'll see and you know, right now it's 2017. Early this year, we you experienced a lot of frost in, yeah. in Champagne. You lost some fruit. Yeah, I just uh, was uh, on the phone with my team uh, yesterday, and yeah, we we already know that we lost some some buds. In fact, so buds it means also fruit. Uh, we lost, we don't know yet, but between 25 and 30 percent of our buds, which is bad. But some of the guys in Champagne, some our, of our farmers, they lost already everything, so oh, it's a bad start. Yeah, yeah. It's bad devastating start. start. Uh, what does that mean? I mean, obviously, you, you have the great opportunity making multi-vintage Champagnes to, to blend vintages in a way that you could, you know, lift up a weaker vintage perhaps, but what, what does the beginning of a year like this year mean for a vintage in general? Uh, it's hard to say, I mean, just the beginning. It just means that we will have you... Uh, Other than less fruit, right? Low yield, low yield but we, we cannot know yet if it's going to be a good vintage or not. I mean, just the beginning. Uh, we still might be able to have some frost, some uh, some nails, some disease. So we, ne we never know, in fact. And we were quite lucky. I mean, the last vintages we had, uh, 2016, 15, 14, they are great vintages. So... We have some good stuff in our winery waiting for the blend, so I'm not worried. 
when it comes to your farming, uh, organic, biodynamic, anything special? Uh, we think about that. Right now we are not organic, but we are very sustainable. Uh, we have a French certification called HVE3. So uh, it's the highest level of uh, that certification. So yeah, we, we take a very good care of uh, our vineyard. I mean, that's where everything starts. So in order to have great fruit, you need to manage your vineyard very well. So we don't use any pesticide for the weeds. Uh, so we work the ground, uh, the soil. Uh, we do it in some of our vineyards. We do it by, with a horse or bull. Wow. <laughs> our partner is coming with a bull sometimes. So yeah. And where exactly in Champagne are your vineyards? So um, we, the, the family, the Cathy family, has uh, 30 hectares of vines, uh, in mainly in Montagne de Reims. Uh, so the villages are Rilly la Montagne, Chine les Roses, Lude. And we have also some very old partnership with farmers pretty much everywhere in Champagne, uh, in Côte des Blancs, in Vallée de la Marde, in Aube. Too. So a lot of Grand Cru, a lot of Premier Cru, but not only. We have some grapes coming from almost everywhere. Chardonnay, uh, Pinot Noir, Pinot Meunier, any other grapes? No, only the three. Only the three. So far. Uh, yeah, there is some other variety, less known, very small amount. Sure. Uh, in fact, yeah, I think in the blend that we made last year, we, we add a little bit of Petit Melier, but that's... Tiny amount. Tiny, tiny, tiny amount. You know, the trend right now, obviously, is zero dose. Uh, what, what, what's, what's your approach to dosage? Ah, um, for, for me, uh, the most important thing about wine in general, and especially in Champagne, it's balance. And because we are uh, doing something very unique in Champagne, as I said, the sourcing of the grape is very important. The ripeness of the grape is very important too. But what we do also is that we only take the very first portion of the juice coming out from the, from the press, so the tête de cuvée. And this special part of the juice is, um, is much more acid, acid uh, I mean, it has a higher acid, higher acid yes, that's it, uh, of the rest of the juice. So in order to balance this acidity, you need to sure. put a lot of sugar, uh, not a lot, but some sugar. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's not the way of thinking yet. This wine has no sugar, it's a wonderful champagne. Now it's all about balance. And what we do also, as we are doing um, blind testing for our blend, to build our blend, we also make blind testing in order to, to choose the perfect amount of sugar that we need to add for each cuvee and each release. So, and how many how many champagnes are you making? So right now the range has uh, five different cuvees. Five cuvees? Yes. A champagne fights this sort of image battle in that no 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 it's not only for celebration yeah. but some 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 champagnes are really for celebration for a special occasion mm -hmm. uh, i think uh your champagnes probably fall in that range simply because of the price yeah yeah our champagne are very polyvalent i mean you you can enjoy our champagne everywhere our goal is to allow you to be able to have a bottle and a glass of our champagne everywhere in the world, in restaurants, in clubs, everywhere. I mean, um, our philosophy is that you are, you are the client and we want you to be able to enjoy a glass of our champagne anywhere you want. So, yeah, and we are working a lot, a lot more with the restaurant. Uh, we, have, we are starting a, a partnership with the uh, L'Assiette Champenoise, a three-star Michelin restaurant uh, in Reims. So we are working with him in order to create a full-range dinner. So 
five different courses to pair with each wine that oh, we have. Beautiful. So you can, yeah. Shall we taste some wine? Yeah, sure. Great. So um, we have five different wines. So today, uh, I think we, we should start with our gold, Brut Gold. This is our flagship. So the bottle that the most of the people know. Um, so it's a Brut. Uh, again, for sure, it's a multi-vintage. The blend for this one is uh, 40% Chardonnay, 40% Meunier, and 20, uh, sorry, 40% Pinot Noir, 40% Chardonnay, and 20 Meunier. And we use 2009, 2010, and 2012 vintages. And the dosage for this one is 8.5 grams per liter. Okay. Something that we do also for the for the dosage is that uh, we age um, our best vintage wine uh, from Chardonnay, from Pinot Noir, but also from Meunier in oak barrels. So I have 15 sure. barrels. Uh, I age those wine for one year in the barrels, and then I use uh, some of those barrels in order to create uh, the liqueur d'expedition. And with your Chardonnay patronage at all? or um, I mean, it can be dependent on the tasting. Same thing with the, as I said, we are uh, making um, a multi-vintage champagne. So it means that the oldest vintage, we, we keep it in tanks, in stainless steel tanks or, or in um, concrete tanks, and it, it stays with the fine leaves. So... I like to say that we have not one kind of aging, but three kinds of aging. We age our reservoir in tanks with the fine leaves, then you have the aging in the bottle, and finally the aging after the scorchment uh, with the liquor and with the core. And how long in the bottle before the scorchment? It depends on the, on the cuvee. But uh, for this one, for example, it's around four years. Four years? Yes. I mean, you might notice that some of the houses are making a long, longer aging. Yeah, it's uh, becoming trendy to go yeah. longer and longer before but the scorchment. But that's our philosophy. Our philosophy, as I said, is to, to stay on the fruit, uh, to let the fruit talk, to keep the vibrancy and the complexity of the fruit. That's it. So we don't want to mute the fruit. That's why I'm not using a lot of sulfur, for example. Good. And I don't want either uh, the aging to overtake the elegance of the fruit. Fair enough. Well, very pretty color, very delicate and demure. Great nose. Yeast and citrus and apple and... Yeah, different kind of fruits, as I said, and different layers, like you have some fresh uh, peach, for example, but you, you also have some jammy, uh, jammy flavors. Mm -hmm. And I get also some uh, sweet spice flavor. Yeah, definitely like, some sweet spices. Like cinnamon. Very elegant. The mousse is... Very creamy. Creamy. The acidity is linear and, and focused. Yeah. Very, very nice wine. And as, uh, as I say, it's a bit more than L gram per liter um, of sugar, but you cannot feel it. The finish is very crispy, very fresh. Yeah, it doesn't feel flabby like yeah. you might think. But you're 8.5%, you say, so that's mm. not very no, high. It's not very high, but still. You, as you said, it's three vintage, multi vintage wine. Is, is every, every year, is it a multi, is it a three? Uh, Vintage blend, or do you expand beyond that three vintages? No, we, we want to stay on this uh, philosophy of three vintages um, because I think it's, that's, it's, that's the right number. If you put more, more and more vintages, you won't be able to get the particularity and the and the characteristic of each uh, vintage. So we will stay on this uh, three vintages uh, philosophy. What would you say the three vintages bring to this cuvee? So. For this one, we used 9, 10, and 12. And um, 
you know, sometimes people say that this vintage is a wonderful vintage, but it's more complicated than that. In fact, um, in 2009, 10, and 12, we have three different groups and a lot of different villages. So I won't be able to tell you, oh, 2012 give freshness to that blend. It's more, much more complicated than that. I mean, I have, we have some uh, vineyard of Chardonnay from 2010 that give a lot of freshness of that, but not every tank of 2010 bring that freshness. Sure, sure, yeah, so uh, every block is each, different. Each ingredients give, it's like a, each ingredient is a stone to create that monument, so. What do we have next? Uh, so the next one will be the rosé. Uh, something interesting about the rosé is that, as you know, there is two ways of making rosé in Champagne. You can make it by saigné or by blending a red wine and a white wine. We choose that option. Why? Because uh, we have uh, some very old um, Pinot Noir grapes in, uh, in Rilly la Montagne, and we manage it in order to, to make a red wine, in fact. So it means that, um, I mean, the roots, the clone, everything is dedicated in order to make a red wine. Uh, the pruning is made in order to have lower, lower yield. Uh, we are harvesting for sure a bit later because we want a better ripeness of the grapes. We don't want any greenness at all. We want that red wine to be uh, full-bodied with a lot of uh, strong aromas of fruit and generosity. That's it. So then we harvest it later. We design it just like a red wine and then we blend it with the white base wine with much more freshness, much more minerality. I would assume then, because of the way you're vinifying your red wine, the Pinot Noir is going to give a little more body, uh, considerably more body yes. and lift and weight to the wine. It will enhance the fruit flavor and also give a bit more body to the wine. In fact, if you come during harvest time, you might be able to, <laughs> to discover our red wine on its own. We used to, oh, really? to have a few glasses with the team during harvest time. Oh, how fun. Yeah. Well, what a pretty color. It's Sort of a salmon, huh? Yeah. We use, according to the vintage and uh, the blend, we use between 15 and 19% of red wine. In 15 to 19%. Yeah. Very delicate nose, huh? Yeah. Um, for me, this nose is dominated by the black uh, fruit, uh, like black currants, blackberries. You got some strawberry too, but more strawberry, like yeah. jammy, jammy, strawberry. You find the darker. Which yeah. isn't that typical. Many times uh, with the rosé champagnes, I'm finding the more delicate, the, the strawberry mm -hmm. and the cherry, as opposed to the currant and yeah. moving on the cassis. Yes. So with this one, you can definitely make some wonderful wine and fruit pairing. Uh, mm -hmm. We had some great um, pairing with a duck, for example. Oh, that would be beautiful, yeah, a duck against beautiful. The, the acidity against the fatty duck. Yes. Yeah. Very, very nice. These wines are not inexpensive. Yeah. These, these, these wines are, let's face it, they're expensive wine. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I agree. Does that present a challenge in, in selling the wine? Or people, I mean, obviously when you're looking at Tete de Cuvée Champagne, people don't mind spending. Yeah. But, I mean, you, your price is higher than Krug and Dom Perignon. And, uh, obviously part of that's due to bottling. I mean, this stunning bottle is worth something on its <laughs> own, I'm sure. What challenge does that present in the marketplace? I mean, the first thing is that at each step, as I said, we give big attention to every detail. 
uh, we talk about what was inside the bottle, so that already cost a lot, but also the bottle itself, because it's metallized, it's very fragile, the, the, the labor are French pewter labor. If there is a scratch on the bottle, we won't use it. So while the girls are polishing the bottle before labeling, they look at each bottle one by one, and if there is a scratch, we won't use it. So at each step, we we pay a big attention to that. So that's Do you metalize the bottles in-house? So you have a, you buy a champagne no, bottle? We are, we are working with a, a partner in order to do it. And they metalize before, the bottle? Yeah, before bottling, yeah. But the, the, uh, the logo and the label is applied in-house? Yes, that's it. So, yeah, so on the market, I mean, um, what is important is to explain what we are doing and why we are doing that this way. And when you explain that and you explain the philosophy, and for sure you test the wine, people forget about the price. Clearly. <laughs> and then um, they want more. <laughs> something uh, Krug just started doing was identifying uh, the release date of their <laughs> Grand Cuvée, which is a multi-vintage blend as well. Uh, is there any way to identify uh, what vintages are part of the blend of the bottle that I buy? Uh, so on the bottle, you cannot find any information uh, because we are not allowed to put uh, a vintage because it's a sure, multi-vintage. But in each bottle, you can find an, a lot number. Uh -huh. So you just have to to get in touch with the so with that our, lot with number. the winery, and with that number, we will be able to give you all the information you need. So the blend of vintages, of grapes, of villages, the disgorgement dates, everything. And obviously, Caddy have been making wines, champagnes for hundreds of years. How long has this brand been on the market? So it's quite a new brand. In fact, the first blend was made in 2000, and the first release was 2006. So the idea of Jean-Jacques Cattier was to create the best champagne of the world. That's it. So <laughs> that was his goal. But you have to know that, I mean, you know, I'm sure that uh, the world of champagne is very established with a lot of very old houses. So when he came with that idea, what the point if you make the best champagne of the world, but it's just in a green, typical champagne bottle? You need to, to do something else in order to be seen. To separate yourself, yes. yeah. That's how he came back with that idea of metallized bottle. In fact, he already did some, um, some metallized bottle back in the 80s. Um, at this point, he made a partnership with the Courage, you know him? Uh, it's a, a fashion designer. Okay. And we already made at that point uh, some metallized bottle like that. And when he came with this idea of ultra prestige champagne cuvee, he came back with that idea of metallized bottle. So it's all about, it's a big mix, I mean, in between tradition and modernity. It's how we are. <laughs> Terrific. So these, these are obviously very high-end wines, mm -hmm. but you're here introducing something even more, a little more special now. Yes. Tell me what's next. <laughs> so the next one is the Blanc de Noir. So we, this is just the second release that we have made of this cuvee. The first release that we launched last year uh, was rating number one Blanc de Noir uh, Champagne in the world by the Fine Champagne magazine. And I'm here in the US in order to launch the second release of that cuvee. Uh, so this is only the second blend that we ever made of Blanc de Noir. There is only 2,333 bottles available worldwide. And uh, we won't launch, as I said, the third release next year. So it's very, very small amount of bottle. And for this cuvee, because it's so unique, uh, we decided to put a number on the back label. Mm -hmm. So each, each bottle... Each bottle's uh, individually yes, numbered. exactly. And you also have the disgorgement date. 
And uh, again, multi-vintage? It's, yeah, for sure, multi-vintage. The blend for this one, oh, sorry, it's 2008, 9, and 10. It's 100% Pinot Noir. And the villages, it's mainly Bouzy, Verzenay, Rilly la Montagne, Chigny, and Lude. Pretty color, very super, super bright. A little silver and maybe even a touch, touch of green notes still, huh? Yes. That's funny because, in fact, we have this mint flavor on the nose. Yeah. I don't know if you can notice that. There's, there's definitely some... Yeah. It's herb. Yeah, a little minty. Yes. A little minty and, again, apple and citrus and it's a little toasty. It's a, it's a, it's a full bouquet. You have many, many, many things in, in, in that one. And the more your glass gets um, oxygen, the more it gives to your nose. Mm. And the funny thing about that tracker, the peppermint tracker, the thing is we we had it at the very first tasting we made with Jean-Jacques and Alexander when we start we were starting working on the dosage, and we don't really know where it comes from. We think it comes from a, a special vineyard in Rilly la Montagne from 2010, but we are not sure. Sure. That's what happens when you let <laughs> the fruit talk. Right. Sometimes you have some good surprise, and we love it. Really interesting. There's a a flinty minerality to it. Yes. Almost like, almost like someone struck a bit of a match. Mm -hmm. um, long finish too. I just keep okay. tasting it and mouthwatering acidity. Obviously, when you buy this wine, when a serious buyer buys this wine, they want to lay this down for a while. When you go back and taste the earlier vintages of e even your other cuvées, how are they aging today? I mean, obviously you're not going back too far, but how are they aging? They're aging very well. I mean. Especially this one, it's a blanc de noir, so sometimes it can, it can get a bit heavy, but you can feel this freshness, this minerality and this crispiness. So, yeah, it will age for sure a long time. Yeah, it's, it's super fresh. Uh, yeah. I, I was expecting a little bit of that Pinot Noir weight, yeah. but I'm not really... It's in the texture, but not in the weight. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense, and that's what we wanted to do, so I'm glad you like it. Mm. <laughs> so, yes, um, I mean, when we, uh, when we sell our bottle, uh, for us, it's ready to be enjoyed. But according to your taste, if you like better, um, I mean, uh, if you like to, to, to age your champagne a bit more, you can for sure keep it and age it, no worries. I mean, we have um, in our uh, Notech um, all the cuvées that we produced before, and we kept all of them in three different shapes. So, uh, like, uh, like, I mean, we keep it with the cork, mm -hmm. then with the lees, and uh, upside down also with the sure. lees, after, after riddling, in fact. So that's very interesting when you make a, a blind testing of these three different kind of aging. It's all different, and according to your test, you will pick the cork aging or the lees aging, so it depends. <laughs> well, terrific. Thank you so much for the tasting, Amelie Mboutoula of Armand de Berniac. Thank you so much. Your wines are outstanding and elegant and everything you would expect from a, 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 a tête cuvée. Thank you very much. <laughs> for John's tasting notes on the wines from this episode, go to www.thehonestpourpod.com. Make sure you catch every episode by subscribing to The Honest Pour with John Lennart at iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Play Store. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook at The Honest Pour with John Lennart and follow us on Twitter at The Honest Pour. This has been The Honest Pour with John Lennart. Music by Kevin McLeod. Kevin McLeod.